Amazons. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. <clears throat> and if you are new or newish here, we are continuing on through the Gospel of John. And I want to welcome you. Welcome you to this uh, church family. If you're looking for a church home, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you're just visiting, glad you're here. Um, it is probably, we're getting to the spots in the Gospel of John where we are getting more familiar with what at least is being said. Oh, I've heard, I've heard something like that. I've heard one of those phrases before. Now we know John 3.16, but now we hear, I'm the good shepherd, or I'm the light of the world. And we go, oh, I, I, know, I know more of what these are. I'm more familiar with these. And we're headed toward the end of the public ministry of Jesus as John writes about it. So John gives Jesus, you could say, depending on who you listen to, uh, uh, 11 or 12 chapters. Kind of John 1 through 12 carry us through the more public ministry of Jesus and then 13 to the end. Uh, we have his ministry amongst the disciples. We have the, uh, that's a big chunk of the Gospel of John. John gives much more attention to the ministry amongst the disciples. And then there is, of course, the um, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus that comes at the end of all our Gospels. So we have kind of this spot right here where his public ministry will soon be disappearing. 12 starts to transition that, but we're getting toward the end. The crowds have grown, the crowds have shrunk, <clears throat> and I have to think about us today, and one of the habits that it seems many of us have is to find guides or leaders or directors or authors or teachers or people, and we give those people a certain amount of influence in our lives, and I I don't fault you for that. We all have people in our lives. The Lord gave us the, the method of disciple-making where uh, people invest in people, where we help train others up for gifts of or ministry of service to one another. The body is built up. And so there is this unbroken chain of God's people bringing God's message out and people coming to faith, growing up in the Lord and doing the same. And that should be the work of every Christian. Being invested in and investing in others. <clears throat> but at times we mortgage away more of our heart and our mind's attention to things of this world that ultimately don't benefit us. And we give an undue amount of influence to things that are less than helpful. And we get really wound up about it. Is it not true for probably anybody in here, that there are just certain topics that the moment they get brought up, the world's going to end. Like, bzzz, right? Like the RPMs just go up. Everybody gets stressed out. And it feels like you can't, you can't even move. I mean, I don't know if the past four, six, eight, however many years, uh, everybody probably has their own recollection of how many years, I don't know what they've done for Thanksgiving table conversation, uh, but I don't know if it's been a net improvement. But one of the reasons for that, I would argue, is because we spend a lot of time listening to junk. 
and we spend a lot of time giving our heart's attention, our affections, our eyes, our ears, and our minds over to things that are less than stellar. And we don't crave things of utmost importance. We don't long for truth. We long for battles. Battles that need to be won. But they're earthly battles. They're not the battles we read about in scripture. In the heavenly places going on. For the souls of men and women and children. And the glory of God being revealed in this world. They're not those kinds of battles. They're battles over who won the election. They're battles over... What's the right way to parent your child in X, Y, and Z situation? There are battles over what's the best job or how much money should you make or what kind of vacation should you go on and, and whose kids are better, whose clothes are nicer. These are the battles that we give our attention to. And then we often give ourselves over to people who don't even know us. To reinforce that feeling. To tell us that we're right. To tell us to keep going. To tell us that whatever it is that we feel about is absolutely a matter of life and death when it is not. But we get worked up over it much more than we get worked up over the things of the Lord. I would guess all of us can be guilty of this. If not currently, then sometime. We are guilty of this. And then we have John chapter 10. We have Jesus declaring, identifying himself as the good shepherd for his sheep. The one in whom we should trust and the one who leads us in the right ways. Don't you guys just feel sometimes like you need quiet and you just need to hear what the Lord says? Because everything inside is so stressed. All the feelings inside can bother us so much. And we get to hear Jesus today teach about himself. We're going to hear three shepherding kinds of illustrations. All of this is shepherding. Please Please don't think that, like, wait a minute, how can you be the shepherd and the door? Like, like that kind of stuff that we try to do as Jesus is teaching. He can't be both. Uh, yeah, he can, because he's, like, he's explaining, he's using illustration to teach us who he is. It's like, how can you be the door and the gate and the shepherd? Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is what our, our, like, literal minds have a hard time doing, is just sometimes hearing Jesus teach and go, oh, he's not, like, he doesn't mean it like that. A human can't be a door. But here's what I would like for us 
to hear today. Just the answer to this question. Hope, hopefully I can, I can position it for you in such a way that it makes sense. The question is this. Why is Jesus the best shepherd for us? Why is Jesus the best shepherd for us? Why should we give our attention, our mind, our affections, the, the all of us to him? Over the things that might even feel more urgent or more important. Why must we do that? Why is Jesus the best shepherd? This helps, it helps us in John 10 to realize both where we are in John and with whom Jesus is contrasting himself. So we actually start by going backwards to see who Jesus is contrasting himself with. And that would be the bad shepherds. There's a specific passage, there are a couple, but there's a specific prophetic passage in the book of Ezekiel where God speaks about bad shepherds. And when he's speaking about them, he is, he is speaking, or, or you could say, uh, he is saying to the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, that they have disregarded the sheep. So we need to understand that, that we're speaking agriculturally here, and kings and leaders were used or declared as shepherds. Jesus isn't the first one to be called a shepherd. The leaders of Israel would be called shepherds of their people, leaders of their people, caretakers of the people. But there is this word the Lord speaks through Ezekiel about how these Israelite leaders have misled the people. They were not concerned about the condition of the flock. They were only concerned about themselves. The uncomfortable thing about Ezekiel is it, it sounds like it was written even today. When we think of leaders in churches who have no regard for the disciples of Jesus, who are only concerned about their careers or their finance or their own betterment and not concerned over God's people. Listen to what the Lord says through Ezekiel in Ezekiel 34. I'll start in verse 1. You could go much longer. I'm actually going to go through verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely, because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the, the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There shall be there they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, I will strengthen the weak, the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. What we see is the rebuke of Israel's leaders because they would not lead in God's ways. They would not direct the people. They would not care for the nation. They would not have interest in their well-being and their worship and in their, you could even say, in their flourishing. Living their lives as God's people. And rather than do that, they were more concerned about taking advantage of the flock for their own gain. I think every elder training should look at this passage and then just ask the question, are you sure you want to do this? Because God has harsh words for bad leaders. Yet what we see is because, and this is the theme throughout Scripture, because God's people don't do as God requires, God must intervene. He fixes it. And he fixes it with a promise that he will be the shepherd for his people. He will be the one who cares. He will be the one who feeds. He will be the one who binds up injured sheep. He will gather them back to himself. And so what do we see in John chapter 10 in Jesus? But Jesus, amidst leaders, 
all throughout the Gospel of John. But remember, we have just now, he just had uh, the man born blind and people challenging him and not sure he is who he says he is and trying to get the man born blind to admit that Jesus is a sinner. And right after that, what do we have but Jesus speaking about how he is a good shepherd, which would go in contrast right to the bad shepherds of his own people. And we'll see these images throughout the passage. Where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The one who cares, the one who binds, the one who loves. In contrast with those who are the hired hand. So why is Jesus the better shepherd? The first reason we'll see in these first six verses is that Jesus is the better shepherd because he calls his sheep and he leads his sheep. He calls his sheep to himself and he leads his sheep. Verses 1 through 6, Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. John gives us this clarification. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Pretty common. Pretty common. So first, let's just imagine a sheep pen. Some of you might have grown up on farms. Most of you probably didn't. And I would also guess that most of you didn't grow up in ancient Israel. It's just a guess. So imagine this kind of rocked enclosure. And at the enclosure is an opening. That would be the gate, right? Think of your own fences that have gates. That would be the gate. The gate actually very often doesn't have any real covering. You go to Israel even today, you'll see different gates, but they're not, they're not closed up. It's the opening in the wall. That's the gate. And the sheep would stay in it overnight. And there would be somebody who stands at the gate to keep the sheep in. And what Jesus is saying is those who jump over the gate to try and get to the sheep, those aren't the shepherds. But the one who goes to the gate and the gatekeeper sees him and he calls his sheep out. What's interesting here is that even then, in an ancient setting, there might be a family gate or a family pen. And sheep would go to the shepherds who were theirs. They would follow their shepherd. That's the language about sheep knowing their shepherd's voice. Being able to follow out. So Jesus comes, he says, in this illustration. And he calls to his sheep. And they come out of the pen. And they come to him. And John has already taught us 
in this gospel about salvation and that salvation needs God's call upon the person. This is why John will give us illustration. They didn't know. You don't understand because you have not been drawn. And that will continue. That's why they're not understanding necessarily what he's saying. But Jesus calls out. And they come to him. We'll see more of this idea of sheep knowing the shepherd's voice, but I, I want you in this moment, right? Let's assume, I'm going to speak to the believers in the room. My sheep know my voice. Don't we at times get concerned on whether or not we're hearing from the Lord? Oh, is this God or is this me? Is it the pizza I had last night? Is it, is, it, is it the conversation? Did I not get enough sleep? I don't know if this is from the Lord or not. But so often, that really just has to do with how we feel in a given moment. It feels right to do this. It feels right to do that. I feel like God wants me to whatever. And believe me, God created us with feelings. Okay? Like, I would like all of you to feel better. If you're ill, I'd like you to feel better. But be better at feeling. Be more emotionally connected. That's fine. Read the Psalms. I would guess that most of us do not have the emotional experiences that exist within the Psalms. Those kinds of ways of processing life. We don't have that capacity very often. I don't. You guys know me. I basically always look like a robot except for the 45 minutes I'm up here. That's it. And so we do get nervous that we don't know if it's the Lord or not. But I want to say to you, you have the shepherd's voice. You have it. You have the scriptures that you can read and you can go, is this the Lord? Is this here? Is this how he speaks? There's one pastor who says at times, he goes, if you would like to hear God speak, read your Bible out loud. Because he has given us so much. Jesus does not speak to us so that we might be nervous that we do or do not know him. And if you read the Gospel of John, or you read John's epistle, or you read the book of Revelation, John is not wanting you to wonder if you know the Lord. He wants you to know the Lord. He doesn't want you to worry day in and day out if you really are God's. He lays it out for you. Christ came. Christ gave of himself. Christ rose for all who believe. Eternal life is theirs. And I do get the anxiety over, I'm not sure what God wants me to do. These happen at pivotal life moments where the career path we want isn't in the Bible. Or, you know, the cost of the mortgage isn't in the Bible. And so we're not sure if it should be X percent of our 
gross income or Y percent of our gross income? We don't know. Or some would go, it should be zero. You know, like you just need to pay cash for that thing. And most people go, that's crazy. How do you do that? I'm like, oh, that's fine. You just rent for 700 years and you save up. And then your, the 30th generation can, can buy a house. Right? Like, like all of these feelings that we have, these are all the ways that we get worked up and we don't actually pay attention to the things God has made abundantly clear. We spend all our time worrying about the fringe decisions and not being obedient to what's clear. To not delighting in what is known. And for me, that's honestly rather freeing. Because if God really is sovereign, then my concern isn't screwing it up. That's often our concern. I've had this, I had this concern forever. Am I going to screw it up? Right? What if Genesis, what if Genesis hired the wrong guy? Or, or, or what if I shouldn't have done this? Or what if I married the wrong person? Or, or what if I had the wrong kids? Love you kids. But like, what if I had the wrong kids? What do I do? What do I do? I'm ruined. God's plans are thwarted. The only time you use that is when you preach. They're thwarted. There are no more plans that God can do. He can't be faithful. That doesn't understand the way of Jesus. Jesus acts. Jesus calls. Jesus leads. Jesus cares. He is not, it's not our concern to be all worked up over did we do the right thing or not. Because if you read the scriptures, the answer is you can't. You can't do the right thing enough times to not screw it up. So Jesus is the better shepherd because he calls us and he leads us. And he doesn't leave us wondering his heart. It doesn't leave us wondering how he feels, what's important, what matters. And so it brings great comfort to know that Jesus is that shepherd who leads, who calls. And then we see more. He calls himself the door. And what we see is Jesus is the better shepherd because through him, his sheep find abundant life. This is interesting, because I don't think we live here, Genesis. I don't think this is our style. I don't think we, I don't think, we think it feels fair or right or doing something wrong if we enjoy life. Like, you got to be a little bit miserable if you're going to be a Christian. That seems to be the way it goes, right? Like, you just have to not like certain things, always be a little grumpy. You can't just love life because that doesn't feel fair. That's not what Jesus says here. He calls himself the door. That would be the place you go in and out, right? The place where the sheep are. They go in and out. And so now he says, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In the first illustration, he's the shepherd who calls them and leads them and draws them out. And now he's saying, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so Jesus gives us this image of sheep who can pass through him as the door. And as they pass through him, they have life. And they can go in and out and find pasture. What is pasture? But it's what you need to survive. It's where you live. It's the food you eat. You go in and out and you find it. And Jesus is saying, I am that way. The other people, the other guides, they steal and kill and destroy. Not so with Jesus Who are the thieves and the robbers? In this context, I think most specifically, it's the leaders listening on. But could also be the bad leaders of Israel's past. Remember, if you're in our reading plan, I think it starts this year. The Old Testament stretches out two years because we're slow. Right? Like, we're all just slow. I get it. I'm I'm right there with you. But if you're familiar with Kings, Chronicles, you hear about good kings and bad kings. Far more bad kings than good kings. Like that's generally the case. The nation divides and the northern kings aren't really good at all. Uh, southern kings are sometimes good, sometimes not. And so it could be just speaking historically. And there has never been this enduring heritage of good shepherding. But those who enter through Jesus have life. They are satisfied. They are cared for. They're loved. They're at peace. I make this joke for even myself. I make it for us. Very often I'm just trying to get through the day. You've heard me say that. Like, how's your day? I'm still going, but I think I'm going to get through it. I'm not really sure. But what does Jesus offer? What does he offer? People may have life and have it abundantly. From his fullness we have received, as John says, grace upon grace. Abounding grace. Hear me here. Jesus does not ration our joy. And he does not ration our life. Where we kind of wake up in the morning and we go to him and we press a button. And the allotment of joy, like we got to really be sure we use it. You know, in the right times or else we're going to run out by the end of the day. Like a calorie counter, right? Like we open up our MyFitnessPal and we go, oh, I'm going to click, 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 let's do this. Oh, I'm out of joy points for the day. I had 200, I've used 198, and it's only 8 a.m. I'm not, like, I got two points for the rest of the day. That is not how the Lord works. He is an unlimited supply of joy and life. It does not end. And can't Christians be some of the most sour people? We struggle to hope. We struggle to have joy. What would that mean? I think if you, if you tie that with what the Apostle says in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the deeds of the flesh, is that if we don't Remain. We'll get to that in John 15. But if we don't remain, abide in the Lord, we don't stand a chance to enjoy the life that he gives. So often, and I understand why, our main concern 
is just not going to hell. Like, I need to avoid that. But think of all the life you're missing with the Lord on this earth. If that's your only concern. All the ways we can know him. He fits into every nuance of life. Every relationship that we have. Every emotion that we feel. Every struggle that might be. The Lord is there. We are saved. From the punishment that comes from our sin. Yes, we are. And we are freed to live. To live free from sin and its eternal consequences. If you were with us when we did our Sermon on the Mount series, that whole series is about living life. Living it honorably to the glory of God, recognizing who Jesus is and who we are, what we cannot do, but what we can through his power do. That is about living. So often, and I get it because I'm one of these guys, so often we just kind of pack up and go, well, this life's going to stink, but man, when, when I get to be in heaven, that's when it's going to be really good. Yes, that is true. It's going to be great. But are you going to just think you're going to have a miserable 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the meantime? That's not abundance. That's not the life that Jesus brings. Because when we're with him, our good shepherd, he's with us in every moment. He leads us in every moment. He cares for us in every moment. Contrast that with Ezekiel. We realize who Jesus is for us. The shepherd, the caretaker, the binder of wounds, the finder of lost, who gathers his people. That's who he is. Jesus is the better shepherd because through him, his sheep find abundant life, both in their salvation and in their living going in and out and finding pasture. Living life with Jesus. Why is Jesus the better shepherd? The third reason. Jesus is the better shepherd because he willingly lays down his life for the sheep. He willingly lays down his life for the sheep. This is something the other shepherds wouldn't do. So when he calls himself the good shepherd, and this is where, he's already called himself other things, hasn't he? He's called himself the door or the gate. Now he's calling himself the good shepherd because these first 21 verses in John are all shepherding illustrations. The first one where he's calling them out, he goes to the gate, the gatekeeper opens it, lets them in, but now he's saying, no, but I'm also the gate. So I call them and I lead them. I'm the gate through which they find life. And now he's saying I'm the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, this seems interesting. I think I was talking with one of you about it. I don't remember which one or who it was or if you're here or if it was you. But it's interesting when you think about a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep because you go, people are more valuable than sheep. So why would the shepherd, like, you can sacrifice a few sheep for the shepherd. 
if we're just thinking on, you know, economically. I mean, Jesus says himself, isn't your life more valuable than sparrows? And so this is where, like, our literal Bible brains can really mess with us. Because we're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That seems like a very silly transaction. So now the sheep don't have a shepherd. The shepherd's been mauled by a wolf. And now the sheep are just there. How does that work, Jesus? It's kind of the way we think. He's giving us an illustration of his heart for his people and his actions. There is a bad shepherd. There have been bad shepherds, and they mislead the people. And so when he finishes out and says, I am the good shepherd, this is what you see in David fighting off the beast, King David fighting off the beast who were coming for the sheep, because the shepherds did have that role to keep the sheep from injury. But listen to how he speaks about this. I'm the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And we know that the shepherd is not gone forever because we know the story. That Christ's willing death was a part of our salvation. He lays down his life. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them. And scatters them. This helps me. One of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. When Paul talks to the Ephesian elders. So he's on his third missionary journey. And he gathers the elders of Ephesus together. And he gives them a speech there. Kind of, He doesn't go inland to go to them. They come to him. Because he's trying to get back to Jerusalem. So they come to him. And he has a, a brief time. And he implores them, another word I only use when I preach, implores them to care for the flock. To watch for themselves and for the flock because he knows that some will rise up from their own ranks to lead disciples astray and some will come from the outside. The hired hand, Jesus says, rolls. I don't get paid enough for this, that person says. This is not worth it. I'm out. Many of us feel this way in jobs or in life. And this is not, it isn't worth it. I'm not going to do this. And yet Jesus, in speaking about himself, what he is showing is that in every way he is superior. Not only does he call, not only does he lead, not only does he give life, not only does he give pasture, but when the time comes, he lays down his life. But only when the time comes. Before then, no one can get to him. I am the good shepherd, he repeats in verse 14. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Then he flips it out. I believe he speaks in verse 16 of Gentiles. He's been speaking specifically of Israelites and how he's going to care for his people. And then he uses this line, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Where is he? Teaching 
Jewish men and women and rebuking Jewish leaders about his ministry. And he says, I have others. So I'm drawing Israelites and he's going to draw Gentiles. We see the bulk, not all of it, but the bulk of that ministry happening in the book of Acts and even through into today. I have other sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Today, for all the Gentiles in the room, you have life in Christ because Christ was faithful as the good shepherd. He fulfilled his mission. He gave of himself. He has called and is calling sheep into the fold, and he is the shepherd of all who believe. Both Jew and Gentile, he is the shepherd of all. He says, for this reason the Father loves me, which doesn't mean that Jesus is earning his Father's love, but that in the unity the Father and the Son have together, and the love that they share, there is perfect obedience to the mission that is before him. So yes, the love is constant and enduring and always. It's not earned Sometimes we can hear, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. <clears throat> but it's not that it is earned. It is that it is obedient. And in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, there is perfect love. And there is perfect obedience. And there is perfect unity of relationships. And so Jesus, on this earth, the Son, on this earth, fulfilling his ministry for us and for our salvation in obedience to the eternal plan of God, all of that is a part of God's love expressed. And then he says this, and now when you hear about these passages of people wanting to kill Jesus so far and not being able to, Jesus getting out of the crowds, he keeps, he keeps leaving. If, if anybody in this room wants to kill me, if all of you want to kill me, let's just, not giving you any ideas. It would be, unless I can bolt out that door, I'm in a lot of trouble. And then I'm running. Right? Like, you're going to catch me. Yet, yet, not so with Jesus. Anytime the crowds were ready to destroy him, he would leave. And they could not get to him because it was not his time. And we see more here in John 10 of Jesus saying, I lay down my life, I, I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. And I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep does it perfectly. That his life is not taken from him, but he gives it for the sheep. Why is Jesus the better shepherd? He's the better shepherd because he calls us and leads us. He's the better shepherd because he gives us that abundant life. 
He's the better shepherd because he lays down his life willingly. All the other sources, all the other noise, all the other people that we might even give our attention or our mind or our affections to do none of those things. I mean, think about if you are a podcast listener, think about your favorite, most edifying podcast. Another sermon word, edifying. Think about one of those. Is that person going to die for you? Are they going to die for you? The person may already be dead. I don't know. I don't know what you listen to. The books you read, the sources you have, are those people going to die for you? Are they going to give themselves over for you? And even if they do, are they going to give you eternal life? Are they going to grant you abundant life? Are they going to call you into a relationship with the Father? No, no one does that. No source, no leader, no influencer, no personality, no pastor can do those things. Only the good shepherd. Now Peter, in 1 Peter 5, takes his lead from Jesus when he talks to the elders or the shepherds among them and says, we better shepherd like Jesus. We better care like Jesus. We better love and lead and be tender like Jesus. So he gives, even in following the lead of Jesus, and calls him. And when the chief shepherd appears, he is the good shepherd. I would ask you to go, what sources are feeding your life right now? What influences are you giving attention to? And do they draw you to the Lord or away from him? I would bet, I would bet they're not neutral. They can stir us up in the flesh. They can stir us up in the spirit. The good shepherd is concerned about us, his sheep, being led by him, called by him, being given life by him, recognizing that he is the one who gave his life for us so that we may have that life. And we end, of course, with the confusion that always happens and it still happens because you hear Jesus say things and there's the, there's the no way this is true. There's totally true. Maybe this is too good to be true. All of those crowds exist even today. And so we hear this. There was division among them because of these words. And many says he has a demon and is insane. Why listen? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Which is what we just heard in John 9 last week. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Can they do this? No. Jesus will say next week, and I love the challenge that he'll give, is he goes, if you don't just believe me, believe in my works. Interesting, isn't it? If you don't believe me, believe in my works. What he's saying is, look at the fruit of my life. And from the fruit of my life, determine who I am. If you're unwilling to go there just with me and my declarations, then look at the works. 
And that's what they're saying here. How can this man be oppressed? Can a demon-possessed person open the eyes of the blind? And so you see the dissonance that is being caused as people are trying to understand who Jesus is. And it's glorious because it moves us to decision. Is Jesus who he says he is, that good shepherd who gives himself for his sheep? I pray we listen to the voice of Jesus Hear the words of Jesus. Have confidence in the gospel of Jesus more than any other source, influence, leader in our lives. That we're stirred up by him and that we delight in him. Pray.